We ask people to be ready with their name, their postal code. Tonight, on the eve of the biggest mass vaccination in BC history, what you need and need to know for your shot at immunity. Plus, it's going to be a gong show. Camping at your phone or computer, the other reservation system that could crash when it opens tomorrow. And I don't know how they could expect that after all of this time, we would still just be silent. Why tonight's televised interview with Meghan and Harry poses a risk for the royal couple. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. Monday is the day British Columbians have been waiting a year for the start of the province's mass immunization program against COVID-19. Health regions will begin taking vaccination bookings for the staggered rollout based primarily on age. Grace Key begins our coverage with the information you and your family need to know. Starting on Monday, seniors will be able to make an appointment for a COVID-19 vaccination. It will start with those who are 90 years of age and older and Indigenous people 65 years of age and older. Anyone can call on their behalf. Uh, we encourage the community to support their seniors and uh, please make sure if you uh, know of someone who might need some assistance, either making the call for the appointment or getting to the appointment, please reach out to them and give them that assistance so we can ensure that everyone who wants a vaccine can actually achieve it. The phone lines will be open from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. seven days a week with interpreters available. Fraser Health is also offering an online booking system available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Health authorities are concerned about the phone systems crashing, so they don't want an entire family calling for one senior and only call if you're in the proper age group. And there is a risk that the call centers get so congested that we can't take any more calls for a while and we really ask our public to be patient. Everyone's going to get vaccinated. We have six weeks of clinics for our over 80 population rolling out over the next, you know, from March 15th on. There's a lot of time. We really want to make sure that everyone knows it doesn't need to be the first day. Before you get on the phone, make sure you have a pen and paper ready. The person's personal health number, full name, date of birth, postal code to direct you to the nearest clinic, and a phone number. The phone line is only to make an appointment. So if you have a clinical question, you're asked to contact your doctor or call 811. The locations of all the immunization clinics throughout the province have now been released. When you head to your nearest clinic, you're being asked not to come too early. We really want to respect the restrictions around distancing for COVID and we do not want large lineups. So we're really encouraging you to come uh, at the time that you are booked for your appointment. Please bring a piece of picture ID with you uh, so you can uh, show your ID and uh, please wear a uh, shirt that you can roll your sleeve up. Vaccinations for the first round of seniors will start on March 15. Grace Key, Global News. Vancouver Coastal Health is taking some bookings for those who are 80 years and older for seniors in smaller communities, the Sunshine Coast, Powell River, Whistler, Squamish and Pemberton. A list of all clinic locations is posted on the Coastal Health website. Interior Health will operate clinics in 47 locations across the southern interior. They'll be held at arenas, curling clubs, community halls, colleges, convention centers and health centers. 
all callers are being reminded to be vigilant of fraud. Health officials will never ask for financial information or a social insurance number. Island Health will operate clinics in 19 communities and expects to administer about 40,000 shots in the next month. The health authority says about 30 small or remote communities that don't have a clinic listed will be vaccinated in a whole community approach, which may see all adults living there given the opportunity for a shot during a single visit. Vaccines will also be offered to some friendship centers with a focus on ensuring Indigenous people are immunized in a culturally safe environment. In Northern Health, 30 clinics will be operated across Northern and Central BC with the goal of immunizing 15,000 people by April 10th. Clinic locations will include healthcare facilities, schools, colleges, and conference and event centers. In some communities, the age bracket will expand on March 10th, while eligibility and directions may vary for other communities due to the complexity of local geography. And in Fraser Health, there will be 22 clinics across the region. Five of them will be drive-through. It will also operate mobile vaccine distribution for people who require home support. Officials expect to administer up to 9,000 vaccines a day. That capacity is expected to climb to more than 23,000 per day by phase three of the rollout. Patients can be vaccinated at the location closest to their home or choose another site if it's more convenient for other reasons. Information for the immunization plan can be overwhelming given the scope and scale of the challenge to get shots in the arms of every British Columbian who wants one. Adding to that complexity, making sure cultural and language barriers are also overcome. Imadi Gahi has that part of the story. There's only one way to summarize the last five months here. It's very hard. November's ban on religious gatherings has kept those who worship at Surrey's Gurdwara Duke Nivaran Sahib safe from COVID spread, but at a cost. Depression, anxiety and the mental health issues increase. The limits on funerals in particular meant many were not able to properly say goodbye to loved ones who passed away. So they can't attend the uh, last prayer after the funeral, you know. So it's a, it's a big trauma. Now, BC's vaccine rollout opening to the public has renewed optimism. We are trying to be get back as normal as soon as possible. This is the only way to, to get the vaccine. But there is a lot of work to do. Many of the elderly in the South Asian community may not speak English and are not able to book their own appointments. For that, staff at the Gurdwara are offering to help. We've had over 3,000 people already that have registered on our portal. Elsewhere, there is a different hurdle. The well-documented relationship struggles between some amongst Indigenous communities and the provincial health system. We have to work and double and, and triple our efforts to make sure that people are not afraid to get this vaccine, that they they understand the importance of them getting the vaccination. In the South Asian community, another threat may be misinformation. For instance, I've seen online where people have been posting information about the vaccines and how they have fetal blood in it or pig's blood in it, and, which is all not true. This UBC medical student is part of a team tackling this problem with correct facts translated and spread through social media and messaging apps like WhatsApp. So when time comes to roll up sleeves this week, no senior is forgotten. Amaragahi, Global News.
A reminder that starting Monday, call centers are open seven days a week from seven in the morning until seven at night. Now, here are the numbers to call to book your or a loved one's immunization appointment when the corresponding age group comes up and not before. In Fraser Health, the phone number is 1-855-755-2455. There is also an online option. That booking website is fraserhealth.ca slash vaccine booking info. If you live in interior health, call 1-877-740-7747. For those in island health, the number is 1-833-348-4787. In Northern Health, you'll want to call 1-844-255-7555. And for those of you in Vancouver Coastal Health, it's 1-877-587-5767. And all of that information is posted on our website, globalnews.ca slash BC. Okay, Keith Baldry joins us now. Keith, why can some seniors in some communities, like the Sunshine Coast, for example, Mm. call to book ahead this week while people in other communities still have to wait until March 15th, March 22nd, and so on? Yeah, largely a question of population and geography, Colleen. So one size does not fit all in BC is what public health officials have determined and Dr. Penny Ballum's team as well. So you're going to see unfold in the coming weeks and months uh, entire communities being vaccinated if they have very small populations and also those are a little more remote. So Fraser Health has made the decision that they're going to treat Whistler, Pemberton, Powell River and the Sunshine Coast differently for both population and geographical regions. And as you pointed out, Colleen, in the north, for example, uh, Uh, Everybody over the age of 80 uh, can start phoning on Wednesday. So not just people over the age of 90 on Monday, but on Wednesday, people in the north. Again, because we're talking about very small towns and very small population bases, more can get done quicker in those small communities than in large communities such as Metro Vancouver or in many places on Vancouver Island. So you'll want to check what's going on in your community because Mm -hmm. what's happening in another community may not apply to you. Keith, exactly. given, given the case numbers for this past week, what can we expect out of tomorrow's COVID briefing? Unfortunately, probably a pretty big number. We've been tracking upwards of our seven-day case numbers at 522 going into the weekend. So do the math. Probably more than 1,500 tomorrow because it's a three-day reporting period. There will be a number of people who have passed away from COVID-19. Hopefully our hospitalization numbers don't continue to go up. So a lot's riding on the month of March, uh, calling as vaccinations ramp up by the thousands a day. There's no, the COVID case numbers, uh, again, have been tracking upwards. The month of March is critical. So again, keep that eye on that briefing tomorrow at 3 o'clock. Uh, you and I will be on afterwards, of course, with some analysis we usually do. And one final note, do not phone the call centers tomorrow unless you're 90 years old or over or you represent someone as a family member in that situation. Unless, again, you qualify for those uh, sort of unique one-off cases in Fraser Health and parts of uh, the Northern Health. Again, don't phone unless you have to. Exactly. Thanks, Keith. Another COVID-19 outbreak has been declared at a long-term care facility in Kelowna. The outbreak at the Cottonwoods Care Centre comes one day after Kelowna General Hospital declared an outbreak in Unit 4B. 
a staff member and a patient there have been infected. There are now six outbreaks in the Interior Health region. The others are in long-term care facilities in Kamloops and Merritt and in two group homes in Kamloops. The big white cluster, which involved 237 people, hasn't been declared over yet, but there hasn't been a new case reported since February 19th. The launch of our vaccination rollout has not quelled some parents' and teachers' demands for increased safety protocols in B.C. classrooms. In fact, as Paul Johnson reports, it's prompted one parent to call for drive-by protests to be staged in every health region tomorrow. In the place where politics and education meet, you'll struggle to find any single issue more important to parents than school safety. Throw in a global pandemic and every school-age family has skin in the game and an opinion. We keep being told we have all these safety measures, but yet they've never been stated. We have hand washing, which isn't enough for an aerosol uh, spread virus, and we have cohorts, which again aren't enough. Meet Aldergrove's Miranda Tracy. If there's a counterpoint to Victoria's leadership on COVID safety in the schools, this mom of two is it. Tracy was behind December's sick out campaign and says she's part of a movement that numbers in the thousands of parents province-wide. Our biggest issues are the lack of safety measures in schools for all the staff and students in the schools. Her group wants to see mandatory masks for all students, improved ventilation and enhanced social distancing. She says she's studied how B.C. school safety stacks up against other provinces, and she believes it's falling short. On Monday, her group will be doing a drive-by parade of Lower Mainland District Health Offices to make their point. Honking her horn and just showing the support, A, for the teachers that continually go to work in unsafe conditions and our children, um, but also to bring awareness that we need to revisit this issue. Tracy says she's in solidarity with teachers. All of these demonstrations, though, fly in the face of the provincial guidelines, which maintain that the schools are safe under the existing rules. The most important thing is reducing transmission in the community. That's where um, people are getting sick and are getting infected. And in the school environment, we have the exposures. Paul Johnson, Global News. Despite the vaccination rollout, we're still facing another summer of pandemic staycations. And tomorrow, we'll find out whether BC Parks did enough to fix the problems with its online campsite reservation system. And that's when the site opens for bookings. And as Kristen Robinson reports, it still relies on the honor system to prioritize BC residents and keep out-of-province visitors out. It's going to be a gong show. Angela Massey has no reservations about what she thinks will happen when she tries to book a coveted camping spot in BC this year. I expect the system to crash. That's what happened last May when more than 50,000 people went online at 7 a.m., overwhelming the BC Parks site. It was an absolute disaster. Um, the, the website crashed when everyone tried to log on to get sites. Um, and even people that did get sites when you were up there and said 100% full, they were empty. Everything is full and you cannot get a campsite this weekend. Campers claim some reserved spots they didn't use, paying for extra nights in order to grab sites for prime weekends. Meantime, the government says it's added server capacity to avoid a repeat of 2020. 
B.C. residents can book provincial campsites online two months in advance of their arrival date and are supposed to get priority access. But it's an honor system, as the Discover Camping website could not be modified to screen by address. Well, how are they going to prove it? Right? We all have friends that live in other provinces. On July 8th, people from other provinces will be able to reserve campsites for the remainder of the season. Officials say there will be spot checks for those who don't follow the rules. If you're caught in one of the spot checks, you would be uh, potentially having your reservation cancelled and you'd have to pack up and go home. I can't think of anything more disheartening than having to go home. 55% of the 10,000-plus BC Parks campsites are reservable, while the rest are first-come, first-served. More of the latter, Massey says, would help spread the demand. Until then, she's ready for the online reservation battle. You know, it's a challenge, but I don't want to give up, right? It's, this is really important to me, and, you know, we're avid campers. Kristen Robinson, Global News. A disappointing virtual attack on Saturday afternoon during a celebration and fundraiser ahead of International Women's Day tomorrow. Offensive comments, images and sounds were made during a Zoom meeting hosted by the Richmond Women's Resource Centre. In what's called Zoom bombing, the attackers made personal and intrusive comments about attendees and keynote speakers. The Women's Resource Centre says the incident just illustrates how far women still have to go to ensure they feel safe online and off. Suddenly there's some pornography that was coming on, music was coming on, and then individuals, their names were getting hijacked and we were getting some extremely rude and uh, terrible things being said to different people. To see that, I think at first we were distressed and saying shocked, and then we were angry and motivated and motivated to say that, you know what, our work is important. Surrey RCMP are investigating a serious crash in Cloverdale last night. A burnt vehicle was towed away from 184th Street between 40th and 53rd Avenues early this morning. The vehicle was destroyed in the crash. The area was shut down overnight as investigators combed the scene for hours. Police haven't released any details, including what may have caused the crash. The Vancouver Park Board is expected to vote tomorrow on a motion to reinstate a temporary bike lane in Stanley Park. If approved, one lane of vehicle traffic on Park Drive would be closed as soon as possible and remain closed through the end of October in order to accommodate a dedicated bike lane. The Park Board Chair says staff would work closely with stakeholders and consult with seniors and people with disabilities. But a coalition of the park's businesses, cultural attractions and recreational groups is against closing a vehicle lane and eliminating nearly a third of parking, saying those park amenities depend on vehicle access. We do have an entire season of lessons learned to rely on from last year, and we take people's concerns very, very seriously. So should it go ahead of the board, I think, you know, the idea is certainly not to keep anybody out of the park. It's to make the park safer. As far as, you know, vehicular traffic, it's okay to drive slow through a park. That's fine. Um, it's not, you know, the crazy traffic jams that you're going to be stuck in your car all day. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about slowing down, and, you know, the speed limit is 30 kilometers an hour in that park anyhow, and that would be nice if that were respected. DeMont says there's an open motion at the park board to look at long-term traffic reduction in Stanley Park. A rude awakening and a big cleanup in Vancouver's Kitsilano neighborhood this morning after a massive tree toppled over. 
The tree slammed down on three cars between York Avenue and Arbuta Street at around 4 o'clock this morning. Yellow tape cordoned off the area and cleanup crews were busy clearing the mess a short while later. The loud crash jolted some people out of bed. The tree is also beloved by many in the area. I cannot count how many times I took pictures of it in the various seasons. It was, uh, it was um, part of the neighborhood. It's an indication of how different the pandemic experience is in different parts of our country. Ontario recorded nearly 1,300 new cases of COVID-19 today, just as restrictions are set to ease in more regions. As of midnight, the stay-at-home order expires for Toronto and Peel. Both regions will move into the gray lockdown zone. That allows non-essential retailers to reopen at limited capacity. But gyms and personal care services will remain closed. Restaurants will be restricted to takeout service only. Quebec will move more regions into the lower orange alert level at midnight, but Montreal will remain in red, the highest level because of rising cases involving a highly contagious variant there. Residents across the rest of the province will now be permitted to eat inside restaurants, go to gyms, and the nighttime curfew will be pushed back to 930 Pope Francis wrapped up an historic visit to Iraq with an open-air Sunday mass for thousands and by visiting war-ravaged regions of the country. Salam, salam, salam. With a message consistently focused on peace, the pontiff is aiming at building a better rapport between Christians and Muslims. He toured an area where people faced religious persecution under the control of the so-called Islamic State. Francis also spent time with Abdullah Kurdi, the Syrian father whose two-year-old son Alan drowned in the Mediterranean along with mother and his mother and older brother. The heartbreaking image of the toddler washed up on a beach in Turkey in 2015 turned the attention of the world to the plight of refugees. Back in this country, a deal for two elephants has been scrapped between zoos in Ontario and Texas. The highly controversial $2 million sale would have seen the animals shipped south, a practice many say needs to end. Morgan Campbell has more. The African lion safari near Hamilton, Ontario, bills itself as having one of the most successful and largest conservation programs for Asian elephants in North America. But for some critics, it holds another distinction. We should be seeking every opportunity to move them to environments that properly suit their biological and behavioral needs. Julie Woodyear is with ZooCheck, an organization which campaigns for the protection of wild animals. She is relieved to see the cancellation of a controversial sale between the African lion safari and a zoo in Texas. That sale would have seen two elephants transferred from Canada to the U.S. for $2 million, with a potential bonus if one produced a calf that lived longer than 60 days. But according to a statement, Fort Worth Zoo Management reached an internal decision last year to withdraw the permit. We should not be selling elephants in 2021. Woodyear, who alongside Will Anderson from In Defense of Animals, a California-based animal rights organization, says transferring elephants does great harm. Every time you transfer an elephant, you know, that is harmed. 
That is trauma. In November, Manitoba Senator Murray Sinclair teamed up with renowned primatologist Dr. Jane Goodall to introduce the Jane Goodall Act, a bill that would ban the use of elephants and great apes in performances and eliminate new captivity while establishing legal standing for such animals. Canada can prove that it is on the forefront of humane treatment of animals. I think there is a very broad support for this kind of legislation. Why there has never been a better time to chase the northern lights. We're going to have a look at that story right after Yvonne's forecast. And boy, Yvonne, didn't see any northern lights today, but it was raining one minute and then sort of sunny the next minute. It was crazy. A mixed bag, a little bit of everything today. We had very windy conditions. We also had a rainbow out there. It really depended where you were across Metro Vancouver and much of the south coast. So we'll start off with a few of the photos and video. This one in West Vancouver, capturing the hail. So thank you so much, Peter. Our very own Jen Palma getting hail at her place in Maple Ridge, and then she had sunshine immediately after. Coquitlam, this was actually heavy hail, but it looked like snow in a few spots, and this one was captured by Rod. In Victoria, higher elevations, we did have some reports of some wet snowfall. And in Kitsilano, this one just showing us the downed trees, and another great shot of the breaks that were out there. So it was really a mixed everywhere, and even a rainbow that was captured in Ladner. So thank you so much, Lorianne. We are going to see a very different weather picture, and in the long rain, temperatures are really going to start to warm up. We do still have some instability this evening. We've got some heavier pockets right now working its way. Coquitlam, Maple Ridge will continue to see that instability, even the risk of thunderstorms. And I've I've spotted a few lightning strikes across the island, especially for the western edge. So still that risk of thunderstorms and hail for the early evening hours. And then it should start to ease off and clear out, especially overnight tonight. It'll be a nice dry start with the clear conditions, though it is going to cool off. Temperatures will get down to two for most areas across Metro Vancouver. But then we've got some bright spots and we'll get into the double digits towards the afternoon. We still do have a significant amount of snow if you're traveling along the mountain passes. Check in with drybc.ca. This is the latest uh, camera from the Coquihalla, which could see 5 and up to 10 centimeters. Kootenai Pass up to 10. Areas near the Allison Pass, 5. And for the connector and sea to sky ranging between 2 and 4. And along the mountain pass, it is it's going to clear out, especially overnight. Now, the northern half of the province, we've got some sunshine in the mix. Temperatures will bump up to 7. It's a pleasant day along the north coast. The northeastern corners, it'll be flurries at times. Not much in terms of accumulation. Much of the central interior, it's uh, sunny. Temperatures will bump up to 4. It'll be a touch cooler, but very pleasant for all areas across the southern interior. Sunny and dry. And along the south coast, the northern tip of the island could still see a fair bit of cloud cover and a chance of showers for the western edge for Tofino. But all of the areas, Victoria tomorrow will be underneath a partly cloudy sky. Chilly for the early morning hours, so do bundle up by the afternoon. We'll be up to 10 degrees. And uh, Colleen, we've got a great stretch of sunshine. Looks fantastic uh, over the next week. And then it's towards the end of the week. Still a few days out. That's when we can start to track a change on the way. Gorgeous. Gorgeous. Thanks, Yvonne. There have been a lot of incredible photos posted to social media lately showing the aurora borealis. As Global's Phil Darlington tells us, the pandemic and another phenomenon has helped aurora chasing grow in popularity. Oh, yes, yes. It's oh, this one. first one, this actually, yeah, I see it, yeah. For Steph Donaher and her friend, chasing the aurora is somewhat a new experience. I've been seeing people post their photos and I kind of wanted to come out and do it for myself. And I got couple good photos so far. (laughs) I'm just new to it. Turns out she is one of many. The Alberta Aurora Chasers group has seen a surge in new members recently, sitting close to 40,000 right now and growing. We're also in a period of time where people are really looking for something to do, 
right? They've been, we've all been stuck at home for the last year. And Aurora gives you a really good opportunity to go out, be in nature, and, and see something that's really, really amazing. What's more, the sun is going through a period with more frequent and vivid displays as a result. So recently, we've had a couple of notable solar events that have happened. We've had a, one or two solar flares, and we've had what we call coronal holes. And those are effectively uh, a hole in the sun, in the magnetic field of the sun, that sends uh, a stream of enhanced solar wind toward the planet. All that activity and the desire to get out of the house has meant places like Elk Island National Park have seen a surge in after-dark traffic. There was a lot of people here. Um, There were like cars kind of bumper to bumper when we came out. Though not every time an aurora is predicted will it be seen. As many chasers will tell you, the cloud cover likes to steal the show. There's no reason why aurora and clouds seem to really go together. Aurora and clouds really seem to go together. Chris did say the next few nights are looking good for some Aurora shows, so it comes down to finding a clear forecast. Phil Darlington, Global News. That's pretty amazing stuff. Doesn't look real sometimes. No, it doesn't. <laughs> doesn't. No, all the meteorologists are geeking out on it, right? If yeah. This is right up Madriga's alley. Yeah, no, yeah. This is his thing. A rescue mission saved an out-of-bounds skier overnight on Mount Seymour. The snow was coming down pretty hard last night when North Shore rescue volunteers were told a man lost a ski in an area known as Suicide Gully. Crews say he was uninjured but couldn't move. Rescue crews trekked through the steep and complex terrain and were able to walk him out safely. It's not an area anyone should really ski in. It's, it's um, off the mountain proper, um, and in conditions like now, it's reasonably stable, but in most, most conditions in the winter, it's a high avalanche area, and it's extremely difficult to navigate. A backcountry skier in Lake Tahoe, California, is lucky to be telling his avalanche survival story. You're about to see the mass that was bearing down on him and the split-second decision he was forced to make, not to guarantee his survival, but about how he would likely die. It was a fun start to President's Day weekend on the backcountry slopes near Blue Lakes, south of Lake Tahoe, for experienced skiers Kyle Johnson and his cousin Josh Dyack. But one of their late runs that day, which they carefully scoped out, came crashing down on Johnston in every way. The mountains had another idea and the whole hillside released even more so than before. And unfortunately, it released like above me and on both sides. An avalanche was breathing down Johnston's neck. He escaped the slide with a split second decision, but it had him going over the edge of a hundred foot cliff. There was debris, there was rocks, and I pretty much just braced for the worst. I was pretty scared to say the least. Johnston blacked out after crashing below. The avalanche then dragged him another 200 yards down the hill. Somehow, his cousin was able to find him. He said I was fully buried except for just my hand, like my arm hand was sticking out. After five excruciating minutes, Johnston was eventually pulled from the snow and later flown to a hospital in Reno. I had like a small brain bleed. I have five spinal fractures. I broke ribs nine through 12. I collapsed along. He spent 11 days in the hospital. Johnston is now back at home, grateful to have walked away from something many other backcountry skiers don't. I feel incredibly fortunate to be where I am here and be able to walk, talk, breathe. His message to anyone else looking to test the uncharted mountains, be prepared and know the risks. Getting the knowledge, getting the know-how, being with someone that you trust. I mean, that's the reality of it is like my cousin saved my life.
Barry's here with sports and starting with a sport that we can play, well, pretty much all year round here. Yeah, down here. Not so much maybe in Prince George. No. They can't do it. But soon, guys. We're all hoping the golf season <laughs> begins sooner <laughs> rather than later. Thanks, Colleen. Uh, it's been over a year since a Canadian won on the PGA Tour. Nick Taylor of Abbotsford went wire to wire at Pebble Beach last February. Today in Orlando, Ontario's Corey Connors had a good chance to get the Maple Leaf back into the winner's circle at the Arnold Palmer Invitational. Connors began the day just one shot behind leader Lee Westwood of England. Windy day at Bay Hill. Wind gusting 30 to 40 Ks per hour. Pars a good score. Advantage to the solid ball strikers. That's Connor's game. And he was also clutch on the greens in the early going. A nine-footer for par at the third. Those are just as good as birdies sometimes. Knocks it in with confidence. Stays at 10 under. One back. Burley Bryson DeChambeau bogeyed his first, but he got it back at the fourth. And it's with the putter from 37 feet to Shambeau with the unlikely birdie. That got him to 10 under and tied for the lead with Westwood and Connors. But this is what everyone came to see. Tee shot on the par 5 sixth. DeChambeau carried the water 340 yesterday, and he went for it again today and once again just powders it. 377 yards into the bunker, which is just 88 yards from the pin. Most guys were hitting second shots from 260. That's how much he cut the corner by going over the lake. A huge advantage. He did flub his shot out of the bunker, but makes up for it with this fantastic shot to four feet. He'd make the birdie, and he had the outright lead at 11 under. But Westwood answers on the same hole from the fringe. Knocks it in, and once again, he's tied with DeChambeau at minus 11. Corey Connors, all pars through six. First hiccup comes at the seventh. Three-footer for par. Misses, so he drops to nine under, two back. Corey made another bogey at nine, but then at the 11th, what he's known for, crisp iron shots. Beautiful approach here to about four feet. And he would make that for birdie. Gets back to nine under, and still in this thing, two back. Now DeChambeau at the 11th. Looked like he was going to make at least bogey from 50 feet. This is his par putt, but he knocks it in. A huge shot. Easily could have three-putted from there with the conditions today, but he stays one up on Westwood, two up on Connors. Connors hung in there at the par 5, 16th. Great second shot to 14 feet. Then pours in the eagle putt. Connors got within one of DeChambeau, but unfortunately bogeyed 17 and 18. Still finished solo third. Won himself 642,000. So it came down to the 18th. Westwood trailing by one has this putt for par and he knocks it in keeping the pressure on Big Bryson. It comes down to this five footer for the win and DeChambeau comes through and he celebrates with the Hulkster flex. Credit to Shambo. Made the pressure putts today. One of only three players to break par today. He was one under 71. His second win of the season, edging out Westwood by one and Connors by three at Bay Hill. The Canucks have a well-deserved day off after their two-game sweep of the Maple Leafs. Next up are the Habs for two starting tomorrow and then Wednesday at Rogers Arena. The Canucks absolutely have to keep building on this momentum. Thatcher Demko is giving them a chance every night with stellar goaltending. Canucks begin the night sixth in the North Division, four points behind fourth place Montreal, but the Canadians have five games in hand. NHL today, the surprising Blackhawks taking on 
Tampa Bay, Chicago 13-7-5. Good young team. Patrick Kane has been leading the way here with an assist on the Matias Yanmark power play goal. Hawks jumped out 3-0. Kane with 38 points, second in NHL scoring behind only Connor McDavid. But the defending champs, they're a tough piece of business. They roar back. Victor Hedman on the power play. With the slapper, ties it up 3-3. And then on another power play, Yanni Gord winds and fires his second of the game. Lightning with four power play goals on the day rally to beat the Blackhawks 6-3. Day three of the Briar from Calgary. BC represented by Steve Laycock. Jim Cotter of Vernon throws the skip stones for the rink. Tenth Briar appearance for Cotter. Taking on wildcard Mike McEwen out of Manitoba. Second end, Cotter final stone with the open draw for three. And... Gets it. I guess it wasn't an open draw. Had to get to the eight foot. It's a 3 2 lead, but uh, McEwen always had an answer. Eighth end, McEwen leading 7 5. Nice, quiet raise takeout here for two, and he would go on to win at 10 7, improves to 2 and 1. BC drops to 0 and 2. A couple of wildcard teams lead the respective pools Kevin Cooey and Glenn Howard, both former multiple Briar champs. It is NBA All-Star Night in Atlanta. Before the game, the three-point contest, six-man field, but Steph Curry, the huge favorite, in the finals, needs to get to 28 points, comes down to the final rack. Curry has to make this last shot, and he does, to edge out Mike Conley of the Utah Jazz. Second time Curry's won the All-Star three-point contest. The slam dunk contest just starting up at halftime, and we'll have highlights of that at 11. Now to the game, Team LeBron versus Team Kevin Durant, although KD not playing due to injury. No Raptors voted or named All-Stars. Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons of the Sixers held out of the game due to COVID tracing. Other than that, it's normal. LeBron James, 17th All-Star appearance with the reverse jam here. And then LeBron with the bounce pass here to Rudy Gobert for the jam. Team LeBron won the first quarter 40-39, uh, and by doing that, they won 150000 for their charity. So they reset the score each quarter so that they can uh, have 150000 for the charities. Kawhi Leonard to Zion Williamson for Team Durant. But uh, Team LeBron with Steph Curry from half court, 22 points in the first half. As mentioned, the slam dunk contest just starting up, and we'll have pictures of that at 11. EPL today, the Manchester Derby, first place City versus third place United. Half minute in. Gabriel Jesus fouls Anthony Martial, so a penalty awarded to Manchester United. Bruno Fernandez from the spot, perfectly placed. Great start for United, up 1-0, and then they add to their lead in the 50th. Man U on the counterattack, Luke Shaw sets and fires. 2-0 the final as United jump past Leicester City into second. Just the third loss this year for City. And uh, Man U just nine back of first place. Liverpool at home to 18th place Fulham. Five consecutive losses and counting for the Reds at Anfield. And the misery continues. Just one goal. Mario Lamina scorching it into the back of the old onion bag. Fulham sends Liverpool to its sixth straight loss at home. Liverpool sitting seventh, 20 two points back of Man City. What a difference a year makes. And NASCAR Cup Series from fabulous Las Vegas, the Pennzoil 400. Pick it up in stage two. Kyle Larson in the blue number five Chevy passes Brad Keselowski on the low side, takes the lead, and Larson would win the stage. Then with 30 to go, Larson will blow past Daniel Suarez for the lead, and he would take it home from there. He gets the win in Las Vegas. Seventh career win for Kyle Larson. First one since October 2019. He's now eighth in the NASCAR Cup Series standings. Denny Hamlin leads the way. 
That is it for sports. Colleen, back to you. Tonight, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, Prince Harry and Meghan, break their silence in a TV interview with Oprah Winfrey that will be watched around the world. But as Michael Couture explains, it comes at a cost for the couple. If that comes with risk of losing things, I mean, I've, there's a lot that's been lost already. The buildup has been like nearly nothing viewers have seen before. An inside and unvarnished look at the British royals from Prince Harry and Meghan set the broadcast nearly a year to the day the couple attended their last official family function as royals. I don't know how they could expect that after all of this time we would still just be silent if there is an active role that the firm is playing in perpetuating falsehoods about us. The firm is the not-so-friendly term to describe the often reserved and sometimes restrictive royal family. Some see similarities between this interview and the one given by Princess Diana decades ago, in which she broke her silence alone. I can't begin to imagine what it must have been like for her going through this process by herself all those years ago. Diana's interview shattered the public image of the royal family, and observers believe it could happen again after Meghan and Harry's candid conversation. They spent years trying to repair their image in the public eye. It's going to be exactly the same with this one. No matter what Harry and Meghan say, people are going to be very quick to form opinions. Looking Perhaps forward. in an effort to counter any negative narrative, the Queen released this message ahead of Commonwealth Day, trying to paint the royals as relatable. In our everyday lives... We have had to become more accustomed to connecting and communicating via innovative technology, which has been new to some of us. Notably absent from the video were Meghan and Harry, who relinquished royal duties a year ago, in part because of the intense media glare. We all know what the British press can be like, and it was destroying my mental health. I was really? like, this is toxic. Moving to California helped the couple escape that life, but granting these types of interviews will thrust them right back into the spotlight. Mike LeCouture, Global News. But with a Netflix deal, maybe being in the spotlight's not such a bad place. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's a tough gig. I mean, I'm not sure. Not many people are cut out to be royals, I don't think. Agree Everyone's with a you critic, there. you know. So. Oh, there's nothing you can do that's, that's right. Uh, what you can do that's right is just tell us what's the weather going to be like tomorrow. <laughs> Once we get past this evening, we've got a nice clearing that's on the way. Some sunshine. It's going to be mild over the next few as well. Sounds good. That is the news hour for tonight. Thanks for joining us. Jordan's here at 11. Stay with us now for 60 Minutes, followed by that Oprah Winfrey interview with Meghan and Harry. Good night. <laughs>